day, July 5th, 2020, three men, Eric, Steve, and Mark, sit down to record another episode of their podcast, Pod Like a Whole, analyzing the album from 1995 by David Bowie entitled Outside. The boys realize there is thick, heavy backstory to this album, and there's only one man in that whole group that's down for the job of digging through it all and making sense of it. So strap in. Eric Anderson is taking you outside to the future of 1999. The month, December 1999. The millennium is approaching. The world is excited in 1999. Some are looking forward to a fresh start. Others are sure it's the beginning of the end. Either way, there is anxiety about, and that anxiety accumulates to the death of baby Grace Blue and the investigation of that death by Detective Inspector Nathaniel Adler is captured in his diary entry. The art ritual murder of Baby Grace Blue, a non-linear gothic drama hypercycle. Now the world itself isn't completely different than futures that have been envisioned before. There's still trains, public transportation, people still live in apartments and use analog telephones. Um, there are differences in the towns though. Uh, London and Oxford aren't in Europe anymore. They've created uh, Oxford and New Jersey. In the future, 1999, there is a uh, an ongoing trend that seems to be boiling over uh, and during the millennium. Uh, art crimes, crimes that, uh, performance art, uh, visual art pieces that use death and destruction. These are starting to rise and they're taking the trends by storm. So much so that there has to be a whole uh, police unit uh, that is involved in the investigation of these. Nathaniel Adler, who's kind of like an investigator professor, uh, he's one of these people attached to this, but their job isn't necessarily to investigate the crime, it's to investigate if the crime being done is actually art. And if so, is it good art? It just so happens they become experts in it and can help the police solve the crime. But to understand this whole situation, let's go back, follow Nathaniel Adler from the 70s. The date is June 15th, 1977, Kreutzberg, Berlin. Nathaniel Adler is there, uh, just looking into some art one way or another, and he hears about Ramona A. Stone, a name that will haunt this case many decades later. She is running a uh, dominatrix art, performance art piece in the top floor of a building, a hotel. She appears to be some sort of neo-Nazi. She has uh, propaganda. Um, she seems to be like a fascist. It's her art or the highway. She believes the future should be uh, overpowered by tyranny um, and she should be the one cracking the whip. And when Nathaniel sees her for the first time in 1974, she is cracking the whip on the backs of Catholic priests who have paid for this service. Her, her mission is to, is, to, is to abuse the angels out of humans and leave only demons behind. Crushing religion through BDSM. Nathaniel's horrified by her, but he can't help but respect 
her uh, conviction to her art and her power. During the 70s and 80s, some of the more extreme performance artists start dabbling in crime art, uh, specifically ones involving death. Chris Burden uh, has one of his collaborators shoot him in a gallery and throw his body off a bridge. Another performance artist uh, was known for doing surgeries on himself, inviting his acolytes and, and his entourage to come and watch him as he uh, injected himself with uh, anesthesia and cut bits and pieces off of him over time until he was nothing but stumps left. Throughout the 80s, as things started getting and in, in, in tiptoeing closer to the millennium, Nathaniel Adler starts realizing that there seems to be a ritualistic nature to art, almost as if there's some kind of sacrifice people are trying to, uh, to gather up to before the millennium. October 27th, 1994. In Manhattan, Nathaniel Adler is investigating uh, the, the scarifications of uh, a man named Athey. He's a performance artist who used to self-torture himself and, and mop up his own blood and hang it above his audience's heads to drip. However, he was HIV positive, which caused a, a bit of hysteria for people at one of the shows, so much so that they, uh, his spokespeople had to get involved and come up with safety precautions. October 28, 1994. Guy Bourdin in New Yorker magazine essentially starts the murder art new wave. Uh, he, people around him start dying and he starts making these off-the-cuff remarks about wishing he could uh, photograph them dead and how much more beautiful it would be if they were dead. People start talking. People's, the outsider art starts gravitating towards these art crimes involving murder. November 1999, coming up to a month before the murder. The, the anxiety is, is palpable. The art communities are definitely gravitatory, gravitating towards something big. Murder art is inevitable. And sure enough, people in these circles start dying. December 31st, 1999, the day our story takes place. The body is found. 14-year-old girl murdered, dissected by a dark-spirited pluralist that will become to be known as the Minotaur. I... Victim? Baby Grace Blue. Baby Grace Blue was a 14-year-old girl um, who was running with the art community crowd, the outsider art crowd. Uh, when she was found at a museum, her arms... Uh, her body was flayed open into some sort of gruesome display and there were speakers connected to her arms that were playing codes codes that could be uh, binary codes that could be read out to describe previous murders in the art community they had a serial killer on their hands after seeing the crime scene Nathaniel Adler is on the case. He has a drink in the morning in his hometown of Oxford Town, New Jersey. Takes the bus to their headquarters in, uh, in the artist Rothko's old studio. He was a suicidal artist. Something about blood and art uh, makes it a perfect place for the art crime team to, uh, to be based in. 11 o'clock, Soho at the uh, headquarters for the art crimes team. Uh, our hero 
sort of. Nathaniel Adler is checking computers for any connection. Um, they run through what the facts they have, and they get all sorts of pseudo facts, and he uses those as a jumping off point. And through this, he gets three names connected to Baby Grace. He gets Ramona, A. Stone, he gets Leon, and he gets Algera Touchwick. He considers Ramona A. Stone for a minute. She uh, has always believed in a tyrannical future. Um, clearly her anxiety leading up to the millennium could result in her using her art to overpower someone, cause death, or perhaps a, a ritual to a tyr tyrannical god. Leon is a multi-ethnic outsider. Uh, he was part of the art scene, perhaps had a history in high art, but it didn't work out. So he was helping Ramona sell some art drugs to the art community and ha was a previous boyfriend of Baby Grace Blue. Although they broke up shortly before her murder. He was on the list of suspects. In fact, Nathaniel Adler's partner, Patty, would go investigate him. Mr. Touchwick, an old man with a, with a history in some low-level crimes, uh, was discussing, he was renting out an apartment to a rich client, Waloff Domberg. In addition, he did hear, or suspected he heard Baby Grace Blue in that apartment upstairs. Eleven thirty a.m. Adler uncovers another clue regarding Ramona A. Stone, the dominatrix he met back in the 1970s in Berlin. Uh, at some point, she left Berlin and got cosmetic surgery so she could move to New York, unsuspected. You see, the authorities were after her. She got there. Um, she started a, a, a job where she was selling art pieces. She was selling uh, fashion accessories made out of animal body parts. Um, at some point, a celebrity wanted to show that she was pregnant, which was, I guess, a tradition at the time, and wanted to buy a diamond-encrusted umbilical. She goes to Ramona's shop. She's pregnant. She never returns. And if you count the years from when that happened, that baby would be 14 years old, the same age as baby Grace Blue. Another piece of the puzzle. So, the album outside begins as the final hours of 1999 tick, tick to a close. We have our suspects. We have some possible motives. Question is, is, do we find our answer in that album? Do we not? Or do we find answers to questions we didn't even know we had? Tune in to our outside track-by-track -track analysis with the whole Pod Like a Whole team to get those answers. But first, the day is July 4th, 2020. Sitting over the digital internet, talking through microphones and hearing through headphones, is co-host Eric Anderson and longtime friends of the show, Greg Walgast, Dan Walgast, and Jamie Walgast, discussing Bowie in the 90s. Enjoy. Once a season, I need to pay my dues and uh, and uh, pull in uh, a friend of the show, Greg Walgast, and uh, 
you know, give him some much needed attention. And especially thanking him for uh, making our beautiful album artwork here, our season two. And also, uh, you know, just getting me into Nine Inch Nails, which started this whole thing in the first place. So big thanks to that. So we got Greg here. Hi, Greg. Hi. Thank you very much for having me back again for season two. Sure. That's enough from you. Uh, we also have... <laughs> it's a family affair today. We have some more wall guests in the house. Um, uh, very happy to have uh, Dan and Jamie here. Um, not only have they been referenced in the show, uh, you know, through helping Greg get into Nine Inch Nails, but uh, just uh, supporting our, you know, they support our show. They inter they interact with us online. They're regulars at our uh, on our online uh, message boards. So it's always nice to uh, to to see your see your comments and uh, and know you support us. So um, so happy to have you here. Hello. A little, a little background. Let me, uh, let me set the stage a little bit before we get into David Bowie here, because, um, you know, I met, you know, I've, we've long documented my, my Arizona years where I got into both Nine Inch Nails and David Bowie and, um, you know, met a great friend, uh, one of my best friends for life, Greg Walgat. But what was really cool about, uh, you know, Greg was like my first good friend and my only one in Arizona he, what was awesome was he was in a band and they weren't just like a band. They were like an awesome band. Right. So they were, they were called thingamajig. They were, I don't even know how to describe their genre. It was like, if, um, I don't know if, uh, correct me if I'm not being fair here, but it's like if bark market and primus made sweet love and then like some sort of, uh, hardcore singer, uh, like just brought a ton of power over the top of it. And you've got you've got this crazy band thing. It was like nothing you ever heard before, um, and it kind of opened up my world because I got to go to their band practices, and I actually got to go to like to places in downtown Tucson and like watch them play shows at night. And you know, this was a new, a whole new like nightlife world for me. I thought it was thought it was quite awesome. Um, and of course, you know, Jamie, Jamie's uh, uh, Dan, Dan's wife, but they were high school sweethearts, and. Um, just a really cool, just, uh, it was, a uh, as a young boy, you're kind of have a superficial idea of relationships, but you guys were always just like, really just a cool, totally positive, you know, couple that, you know, just, I don't know. It was just always cool to, to see that. So I, I, I think about that from time to time. It was a, it was a, a, a young boy in his formative years needs, needs a positive kind of model like that. So, <laughs> but you guys were fun. Yeah. You got a goofball sense of humor and, and you were cool to me. I mean, what was I? I was a 13 year old. Uh, Thirteen-year-old kid with a butt cut, you know, hanging out of your practice. You guys, you guys, you guys are cool. You guys are cool to me. You treated me like a human being. It was great. It was great. So, well, because we were we were thir thirteen-year-old, twenty-year-olds, and you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and weren't too far off. Ah, so, anyways, happy to have you. I, I, uh, I just wanted to to, 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 you know, say that you got, you know, you, you were both role models uh, for me and my. My young, my young preteens. So, um, and look, I turned out great. Yeah, right? that's right. So we all did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we all did. That's right. Um, well, I guess let's let's go around the horn here and just kind of talk about, um, you know. 
uh, getting, you know, when we all got into David Bowie, I, Dan has expressed interest uh, in, in talking about some of the 90s albums. Hmm. And um, the way we are recording now is fast and loose. I never know if Steve is going to get off work in time to record, so it's really hard for us to plan our proper episodes. So I wanted uh-huh. to make sure I got your two cents on at least a bonus episode. Sure. So, um, and you know the you know the Ericheads, our, our listeners that are Ericheads, they're going to listen to this. So you know you know you're going to have your you know you're not just recording into the void here. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But yeah, let's let's go around that horn, um, and I guess we'll start with. Uh, Start with uh, Dan or Jamie or both of you if you if you're finishing your own sentences at this point. Uh, how'd you get into David Bowie? <laughs> Me first. Okay, uh, this is Dan. Uh, my, uh, I always kind of knew about Bowie. Um, my parents were real music heads, um, but they weren't really directly into Bowie. They didn't have a bunch of albums or anything, but we always kind of knew about him. My mom really liked. Uh, China Girl and Let's Dance and, and a lot of that 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 era stuff. Um, I don't think she got down for all the glam um, or any of the more um, uh, late '70s craft work type stuff or you know any of that. It was just sort of like um, bits and pieces here and there. We we knew about Rebel Rebel and all that all the all the hits. Um, but then I, I think it was. I think it was actually Greg that somewhere in the, you know, 95 time we were playing a thingamajig and, and at some point Greg came home and he was like, dude, have you, have you, do you know what David Bowie's been doing recently? Have you heard what David Bowie's been doing? Have you heard his new album? And I, I hadn't been paying attention. So, uh, that I was really my intro outside was really my kind of reintroduction to Bowie. And, uh, that's, it sort of like sold me ever since then. I've been I've been on the David Bowie tip ever since then. So that was really my perfect my gateway drug. Yeah. You know you yeah. should you, you know uh, you should show your mom uh, the 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 late seventies craft worky Bowie version of China Girl that he did with Iggy Pop on the Idiot because it's even better <laughs> than than Bowie's oh. version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Heard that one. All right. Yeah, and I would say that was pretty much the the same for me too. I think it was Greg getting interested in in outside and us getting into that album because I met Dan in 1994. Where we started yeah. going out in 1994, so it was right around that time. And yeah, so it was all Greg's fault in my case too. <laughs> of course. Yep. <laughs> it's always it's always fun to blame things on Greg. It's, it's, <laughs> It's a good day when you can do that. Well, it's, uh. I mean, it, well, so for me, I mean, I guess it was Eric then who ah. uh, got me into Bowie, I guess. Cause, oh, uh, my God. Uh, or, or at least. It all comes full circle. I mean, I guess you could say it was Nine Inch Nails, really, because I, I knew, like, I knew who Bowie was, of course. I mean, he was just so uh, ubiquitous. Like, um, I... <laughs> I will have to be honest and admit, although I know I'll have to turn in my badge as the fourth member here and say that I have actually <laughs> never seen in its entirety all of Labyrinth. Um, I've seen parts of it, but I've never seen the whole thing. Um, yeah, go home. Like I, 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 <laughs> I'll hang up after I finish my <laughs> sentence here. But well, so, uh, like, I knew who he was, I knew his voice and all that, um, but 
had never, like, I, I didn't really know his hits. And it wasn't until uh, I started seeing the video for Hearts Filthy Lesson on MTV. And um, I don't know which came first, but around that time, we found out that they were going to be touring, uh, you know, Nine Inch Nails and David Bowie together. And um, so it wasn't until we were in the car on the way up to Phoenix to go to that show, which we'll talk about later. Um, and that's, that's when I actually first really listened to Bowie. We, we listened to all of outside at least once or a couple times, uh, on the drive up to that yeah. show. So, so that was really my introduction was listening to outside, like right before we went to go see that. So you're kind of blowing my mind here because, <laughs> yeah. because, this is like a this is a snake eating its own tail. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> pun intended for Dan and Jamie who live in the Arizona desert and are covered by snakes pretty much all yeah. the time. Gotcha. Um, uh, because in fact, I think we saw that last summer. <laughs> uh, Dan showed Greg Nine Inch Nails. Greg showed me Nine Inch Nails. I got ex- obviously loving Nine Inch Nails. I watched 120 minutes of Nothing, which was a Nothing record special on 120 minutes where they announced their tour and they premiered the Hearts Filthy Lesson video, which got mm-hmm. me really excited. Uh-huh. We got tickets to the concert. My father, Jeffrey Anderson, bought the outside album because he was going to take us. And he's like, well, I might as well know what he said, what he sounds like now. Yeah. We bought the album <laughs> and then and then we brought it. Oh, wow. Look at that. Look at, look yeah. at that. It's, it's yep. adorable. <laughs> nice adorable. Wrapped up in a nice little package. <laughs> yes. 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 And that... Yeah. Uh, Yes, and that, I think I, that was, yeah, I think I just watched that 120 minutes interview last night. It was with Trent and and Bowie. Yep, wasn't yeah. it? And they were and, talking about the impending tour and all that. And mm-hmm. sadly, current mm-hmm. Fox News correspondent Kennedy was interviewing him. <laughs> Man, I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> she's had an interesting road. Uh, Oh God. Um, well, you know, the nineties was interesting because he, you know, he was kind of at an art, a new artistic place. He had brought, Eno back for, um, outside and he had this band that was pretty wild. Um, he had a couple different drummers, but he had Reeves Gabriels was his guitarist and he was his guitarist from Tin Machine. Um, who I think Dan has some good stuff to say about, about Tin Machine. Correct. <laughs> I may be the only person who has good stuff to say about Tim Machine. <laughs> uh, but it, it, one thing that you get from Tim Machine is that Reeves Gabriels plays his guitar like a chainsaw, just um, just uh-huh. like pinwheeling guitar solos all the time. So much so that it's one would not be blamed for calling it oppressive. And uh, uh. he toned it way down for outside, and and you know. It, definitely turned it more into like a chop shop method on, on earthling. Um, mm-hmm. But uh-huh. they were on, they were on, they were definitely in some interesting, interesting music going on there. Um, and so you guys, I, I, I know our earthling episodes about to drop. You haven't heard it yet, but I do. What do you guys think about that one? That uh, may be a good time to bring Fias in, but uh, that that's definitely in the, in the Bowie pantheon. That's, my one of my favorites, if not my favorite, um, all the guitar schlonking. Um, it's got some of my favorite favorite Bowie tunes of all time. Telling lies is is that's probably my favorite Bowie song. 
Um, yeah, I would have to agree. Oh, it's so good. So good. Yeah. yeah. Earthlings, my favorite too. And then, uh, telling lies is one of my favorites. I'm afraid of Americans. I guess you can't really complain about that one. Uh, <laughs> And then definitely, I like law. Dan is not a dancer of any sort. And so to him, that song is meaningless. But to me, that is like the best thing to get you amped up in the day. So. Sure, sure. There's a, that was his um, kind of take on your, your like thrill kill cult, like uh not really industrial, not really dance, somewhere in betwixt. Yeah. That's that's kind of what that song's all about. That's, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun, though. It's fun, though. Yeah, and we just I don't watched... know why that song always makes me think of uh, Mars Attacks. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know why the sound of that song, and maybe it's just the, the Earthlings on Fire part of the title, just makes me think of Mars Attacks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will never, you know, kick a conversation about Mars Attacks out of bed. It's, uh... <laughs> It's a, it's a great film. Great it's film. It's probably good. it came out about that time too, I guess. So yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, since we brought up Earthling, Fias just jumped into the room, so he wanted to give his two cents. Oh yeah, Fias. Hey, buddy, Eric. Hi. I, I really you? do have only two cents. I, I'm good. How are you guys? <laughs> good. Good. Just for the just for the listener out there, uh, Fias is the. Uh, uh, son of uh, Dan and Jamie, and he is quite a good uh, electronic musician in his own right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, very, very good. You can find his stuff on any streaming platform, I, I, I do believe. Before Indeed. you give your two cents, why don't you, why don't you plug, uh, plug something? <laughs> um, I don't know what to plug. I guess my Spotify... I'm Pulsar Glitch on Spotify. That's probably my best platform. Star glitch. Good stuff. Good yep. stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, what are your two cents? And then it's all you get. It's two cents, not a cent more. But. <laughs> uh, my two cents on Earthling is that uh, I, I think it's by far the the best David Bowie album. I think the 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 tone of everything is great. The drums are probably my favorite part, obviously. Um, and I think it it kind of invented the the genre of uh drum and bass which was that's like a huge part of music now but well, it certainly certainly brought it to the forefront for sure and i think it it did oh, as far sure. as like live drums as far as chopping up chopping up live drums because their drum and bass was a thing but it was all like 808 beatboxes and samples sped up and stuff like that this was one of the first exactly Maybe with the exception of like uh, Meat Beat Manifesto, it was like the first time I'd heard live drums uh, kind of chopped and screwed into a drum and bass song, which I think is huge because that 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 happens sure, a lot more sure. now. Well, good, yeah, I'm glad. I'm <laughs> and and hey, if uh, a fantastic electronic musician as yourself would know, so so there you go. Don't 
Don't take my word for it. Take Pulsar Glitch's stamp of approval. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I definitely second that. I mean, I know, I, I seem to remember Bowie saying at the time that, like, he was just really fascinated by, like, the the jungle beats and was, like, wanting to do something more with that. And I know we talked about a little more before, earlier how the, um, lyrically, there's not as much going on uh, on Earthlane as compared to other Bowie albums. Um, but I think it was because he really wanted that style of music to be more like at the forefront. Uh, the, being a drummer, like the, the drumming in combination with the jungle beats uh, was so fantastic. And that's, that's what I really liked about it. Um, Zachary Alford is an amazing drummer. And just the stuff that the little fills that he does, uh, really, it just really heightens the, all of the, uh, the drumming in general and, and the beats. It really makes it more like kind of a, a cyborg combo of like, you know, electronic and, and actual drumming. So that was, that was really cool. Nice. Well, we're going to get into uh, how awesome that tour was here in a minute, but do you guys want to, I don't know, maybe uh, uh, like round robin your some of your other favorite Bowie, Bowie albums or songs that you've kind of gotten into after the fact? Since you, if 90s was your starting place, kind of, what, what else have you, have you kind of picked up over the years? Uh, I, I can go first. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> I, I really like everything... Uh, through the 90s, I know uh, um, uh, Hours has taken kind of a beating on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of here to say that. that I think there's some really good good points to that that album. It, it's definitely different in tone. I've never heard it, so that's more that's more uh, <laughs> that's more of a Steve uh, complaint. But it's good to know. It's good to know. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it's. It, it definitely takes a different tone than the than the other two, but you know all three of those albums are 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 different and similar in different and similar ways, um, common themes, but also uh, kind of different takes on that whole time period. Um, and so I, I yeah th- those are those are the albums I kind of return to most. What do you got, Jamie? little bits and what little bits and pieces from different albums uh I really like I don't know if there's a whole album that I just think is the best besides maybe Earthling um and then I really got into Blackstar when he made that and I think maybe it was the timing and what was going on with him and that it was toward the end of his life and all of that that just really that album was impactful for me and you could hear you know his voice had changed over time and I don't know there was just something like beautiful about that and the video that he made to go along with uh that particular song so oh yeah for sure I mean yeah that was like a week before he died that 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 album came out and Mm -hmm. uh yeah it was definitely it was definitely a a perfect goodbye and and the only way he could do it so definitely Greg, you, you can talk again. Um, yes. Oh, okay. Sweet. Um, I've, I've got that talking pillow. Um, so the, I still, of course, am, am just most familiar with like outside and earthling. I mean, I listen to those regularly um, in like 
you know, late junior high and high school. And then I don't know. It's so weird because like I, I really enjoyed like, I guess I saw it as the kind of Nine Inch Nails influence on, I, I felt like at least that there was some influence on, on his work around that time. And so I enjoyed those albums, but then I, I didn't really, I didn't, for whatever reason, have an interest in, in uh, looking at older stuff, or at least I, I just felt like there were so many albums and I just didn't know where to start. And I didn't, I wasn't sure if any of it would, would be in any way similar to that 90s stuff. And so I, I just didn't really seek it out. And it, it's only been just like the last few years that I've actually started listening to older Bowie albums, especially now on the podcast. I'm like, okay, well, I actually need to listen to this. And uh, so like when I've been drawing or whatever, just trying to, uh, to go through each of them and, and give them a chance. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, discovering like low and uh, scary monsters and all that has been, those are, of the older ones, those are some of my, my favorites that I, I really like. Um, but I, there's still a lot that I have never heard uh, and a lot that I, I haven't listened to again enough to really appreciate. And so I still, yeah, still nice. quite a noob as far as that goes. Before we move on, uh, did any of you um, just have anything else to say kind of on those 90s albums? Like, I know there was some other, you know, other stuff that went with them, music videos and, and, uh, and stuff like that. Uh, if, you, if you wanted to chime in on anything else there. I think uh, for Outside, one of the things that was weird was at the time when it came out, I had no idea that there was a theme behind it that there was a storyline that went with it. So to me, it was just like, this is freaking creepy. What the hell is this? What are all these weird interludes? Like, and I still, it wasn't until a couple days ago that Dan explained it to me. And then I was like, oh, that makes a whole lot of sense. I still don't love the interludes. Um, I still don't get it, but you know, I love, I still love the album. I love the music on the album. Tone of it. Yeah, I love the yeah. creepy tone. I got the creepy vibe that came through. <laughs> you're you're not alone in the interlude thing. Um, you know, I did I did a fair amount of research on this because I like to really dive into the to the the theories because there is a story, but it's open ended on how it ends, and um, uh -huh. it just gets more and more abstract um, if you actually try to look for a storyline. Uh, <laughs> because why would he, why would he tie it up in a nice little bow for us, right? Um, yeah, sure. And, sure. And, 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 Online, uh, a lot of people are like kind of annoyed by the interludes. Um, for me, they're so short that it's like it just adds a little bit of layers of atmosphere to the album, and then it's over, and then you uh, you know you get to a song. But um, yeah, there's there's a couple that I'm okay with, and like I remember I had I had never 
seen anything like that on an album before so that was really weird and of, of course you know i was like what the heck is a sagu what are all of these things like <laughs> oh, i didn't know <laughs> My uh, my sagu my all charged in the garage. I'm gonna take it around the neighborhood. <laughs> oh man, mm. uh, stupid fifteen year olds. No, I, yeah, I I feel like in my my tendency for uh, you know referential uh, joke making, uh, some of those segues have some really uh, mineable um, materials like the the um, I am with name one mm -hmm. uh, the whole the whole little uh, monologue by Ramona A Stone. Oh yeah, uh, I was an artist in the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love using that like elements of that in, in parts of conversation where. You know, it's, uh, totally inappropriate. It's, it's totally inappropriate. So I, I, I stick <laughs> well, in those kind of Why would you say, you know, first of all, I'm sure we often always just talk about how we're artists in regular conversation. Uh -huh. but why would you oh, yeah. call it artist when you could call it artiste? Who's been wearing around his clothes? videos and of course the really good Trent Reznor remix of uh, Arts Will Be Lesson. Uh -huh. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Um, um, I, I do remember like seeing them advertising the uh, Arts Will Be Lesson uh, video on MTV and just thinking wow that looks really cool it totally looks like a Nine Inch Nails video and um, yeah it was like days after that or like almost immediately when yeah you were like i just saw 120 minutes and they're playing they're touring together and all that and so then it was like okay, okay well now i really want to see this video the song sounded <laughs> cool and yeah ah <laughs> uh, well let's uh yeah let's, let's 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 talk music a little bit because i um i think whether you know directly or indirectly um you know I being me being the oldest kid in my family of four brothers, like I didn't really have anybody to pass on, um, you know, music. Take I kind of had to figure it out for myself. And um, but I think you know you've def you definitely like either showed you know showed Greg some cool stuff and definitely opened my eyes in, even indirectly to like this like more. Um, I mean, I, I came in like liking alternative but mainstream like Nirvana, Primus, Nine Channels, and. And I think you guys definitely opened my eyes. There's like independent music out there that's, you know, a little edgier, a little more, um, you know, experimental and stuff like that. So, I mean, I don't, what was it like discovering music, you know, in a, in a dusty old Arizona in the, uh, in the nineties? <laughs> well, I, for the, it seemed like over time we, we kind of got good at passing music back and forth uh, amongst each other. I, I, it started out for me like getting uh, music from Lou, our older brother. Um, he's the one who got us hooked up with like Faith No More and Soundgarden and Misfits and you know a bunch of 
bunch of that kind of stuff, the bad brains, and he was always the conduit for that. And then um, after he moved out, it was kind of up to me and Greg to find our own path. So then Greg and I got into, you know, hey, did you, have you checked out this thing? And I heard about Bark Market from a friend of mine and played him for Greg, and he got really into him. And so then, um, you know, it's just, and then more recently, we've been telling Lou about some stuff, like, oh, hey, you got to, you know, check out, uh, you know, 12 Foot Ninja or, or uh, Gogeta or something like that. And um, Red Fang, you know, passing all these other stuff back his way. Call back to to Bark Market really quick, because you guys that was one of the yeah. ones that always sticks out that you showed you showed you showed me that one and I and I thought it was pretty pretty nuts, but I, I got into them as well. <laughs> and um, yeah. uh, weird thing is when I had moved back to California um, and started paying attention to like the local Sacramento music scene, it wasn't very good. The biggest Sacramento band is Deftones, who I think are great, but um, a lot of the the local scene was similar. It was like um, you know, more clean cut, like poppy mm. rock with a little bit of a hard edge, not, not, but not very good, but all of them claim to be <laughs> massive Bark Market fans. And even David Sardi uh. would seek David Sardi out to produce a lot of their records. And you can't, oh, yeah. hear, you can't hear the connection in there at all. But I just thought it was really interesting that, that it, it, it was, they were so inspirational to a lot of Sacramento bands that luckily sound nothing like them, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was like uh, far. Yeah, yeah, far. yeah, exactly. And the Audio Lux, I think, is a, are they from Sacramento? Yeah, and they're they're okay. And far is yeah. fine. They're just they're not really for me. But um, and you don't really yeah. you don't really hear the the thread in there. But um, but yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just just yeah. interesting because he's not even a Sacramento boy. So it's David Sardi. No, nope. so. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't he's out of Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah. hey, I'll, t I'll 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 take it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what about you, Jamie? What were what was your kind of kind of uh, journey into the the uh, valley of music? Well, I think I went to a really small elementary school. It was a Catholic elementary school, and it was a real tight group of people. And so then, when I went on to high school, um, again another Catholic school. Um, and small, but I was introduced to a new group of people, and so that was fun, and then I started hanging out with my cousin a lot, um, who moved to Tucson, and so somewhere between sophomore year and junior year, I went to the dark side, like <laughs> I started out being pretty preppy, and then I pretty much went to the dark side over the summer, and I never turned back, and so I started listening to all kinds of new things um, through my cousin and through some of the new people that I was meeting at school who were weirdos and so that was that was my introduction to all of the all of this kind of music and so by the time I met Dan in 94 I was already listening to a lot of this stuff and that was part of uh you know us kind of being like hey, hey we speak the same language yeah right and then we started out our music thing going to shows at the downtown performance center in tucson um that's actually where we met 
And so we started out doing that whole scene where we were going to local shows like every week, every other week, just mm -hmm. going down there and hanging out with people. And we didn't start going to these large like stadium shows and um, large venue shows until much later. So I think that's how we missed the Bowie Nine Inch Nails boat because we were still on that kind of local scene thing yeah. and um, and not quite into going to see the bigger shows yet. Sure. Well, there was you know, Tucson, you know, if I have my memory serves me, had a pretty deep, like, you know, pretty active local music scene. Um, yeah, it did. It did. It did. Yeah. And that, and that DPC, they, they, we were looking back at some of the uh, monthly show lists from 94, 95, and they had bands like Deftones and Grotus and 311, Fugazi, Offspring, uh, Green Day played there a couple of times. They had like big, what are what became big national acts, you know, in their infancy coming through that place. And that's that's how we found out about a lot of them is, you know, our friends would go to the show and like buy their, you know, little EP or their first CD, their demo or whatever. And then five years later, uh, you know, the band is huge. And like, hey, we, I, I bought Adrenaline at the DPC back in 95. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I, and, I, uh, and I say this with actually nothing but love, but you know, Tucson being, I guess, the ugly stepsister to Phoenix, um, you know, it would make sense that it's kind of a scrappy little punk town, which is, which is great. Yeah. 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 It always had a lot more culture for that reason, I think. I would agree. I would agree with that. Oh, it still does. Yeah, it still yep. does. Mm -hmm. Thank God the boy's not alone. I don't believe in Santa Claus. I don't believe in spite. Primus definitely was a big one for me. So that's probably how they, you know, found each other in that way. <laughs> yeah, I remember there was a weird connection. Because um, when we moved to Tucson, my my aunt lived there at the time. And um, and she was, you know, she, she was definitely my youngest aunt and was into like, she was more into like hippie culture, but she liked the Tucson band Major Lingo. And I remember her telling me that <laughs> that, that yep. Tim Alexander from Primus used to play used to play for them uh, way back in the yep. uh, in the eighties or something. So that, 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 that yep. I found that interesting. <laughs> no, yeah, that was, that was this kind of pre-Primus band, and and they played in Tucson a lot. And I've, I've had coworkers like twenty years after. Oh, have you ever heard of the band Major Lingo? Uh, oh, come on. Oh yeah, they had they had <laughs> that's a little bit. They had like, if my aunt was any any example, like people were rabid for that band. <laughs> like that yeah. was like they, yep. like you know, yep. they they had the little hippie little hippie cult of uh, of major major yep. lingo people. Just want to go out and dance to some steel, steel guitar, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the first show that Dan and I went to that was one of those bigger shows was Sausage and yep. Helmet. Yep. <clears throat> We went, we went to that at the Mesa Amphitheater. Yep. Oh, I've been relishing this moment. Speaking of concerts, you see, I have been forbidden to bring up 
the David Bowie Nine Inch Nails concert on the show anymore. I referenced it way too many times. But now that I've got this little solo B-side with Greg, who actually attended the concert with me, not only are we going to talk about it, we are going to go through that baby track by track. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. I've been, I've been, I've been waiting for this. Oh, I, I woke up in the middle of the night months ago with this idea and just, uh, just started grinning a devil grin from ear to ear. Uh, <laughs> you can do a bonus episode. <laughs> Oh yes, oh yes. So thanks for uh, thanks for coming along and being my uh, my co-conspirators on this one. Um, this should <laughs> give us some good talking points. This should, this should give us some good talking points, as I as I know you're both uh, fans of Nine Inch Nails as well. Um, so the show started with with uh, a o- prick opening, and I think uh, Greg and I were excited to see them because uh, yeah. we, we 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 were really Nine Inch Nails. We bought their album from Nothing Records. Uh, we bought anything we could find from Nothing Records, and um, mm. their album was pretty cool. Trent Reznor is like on it; he plays on it, he produced it, engineered it, um, sings on a few tracks, mm. and then uh, the lead singer um, was old friend of Trent's, and and uh, we talked about them on the show. I won't get into them too much, but they were just kind of a fun, like noisy, like uh, I don't know, pop rock meets like whatever '90s version of new wave was. Like they were just kind of weird but um it was cool to see him play play live i know i know uh greg and i were excited on that especially like just seeing yeah. that song animal live was was fantastic yeah yeah that was yeah. good um yeah. and I, I do remember like uh seeing the listening to outside the first time on the way up there and we were like looking through the uh the album artwork and all that and we were just geeking out over all of like any like Nine Inch Nails connection we could find. Just like yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Hearts Filthy Lesson has, it starts out with that kind of noise that we were like, oh, it sounds like Closer. And then um, and then there was uh, the song Wish, Wishful Beginnings. And then right after oh, it was yeah. we, we Prick You. Wish. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. We Prick yeah. You. And yeah, we were like, oh, my we God, we were too many. Can't we were the, that's where my uh, my fan theory uh, obsession and, and real, actual real life that's problem <laughs> comes from. Where it started. Being <laughs> deleted. But um, the concert was at the Desert Sky Pavilion in Phoenix. We lived in Tucson. Mm-hmm. It was like two hours away. And, um, you know, my dad bought the tickets because he had a business conference in Phoenix the next day. Mm-hmm. We had our, uh, our band concert at the state fair in Phoenix the yep. next day. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we went to the concert, had a blast, stayed in the hotel, and then took a taxi to meet up with our, our school, the, the school band at the state fair. And, definitely feeling like rock stars you know yeah yeah i just i was uh, i was up until midnight last night watching nine inch nails what's what's it to you yeah (laughs) yep teenage dream pulling up yeah now let's go hold up and all of our friends were hanging out (laughs) yeah 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 oh yeah yeah it was the the one the, the first and last time i ever felt cool exactly exactly uh all right. Well, Nine Inch Nails comes on and they open with Terrible Lie, um, which is like one of the best live Nine Inch Nails songs. Like what they do to that, that song with the full band is, is um, it's something for the people. Um, but um, yeah. just, uh, just <laughs> I, was, I was curious what, um, you know, what uh, Dan and Jamie think about 
pretty hate machine. It's, uh, you know, I know at least, you know, Dan, you tend to gravitate towards, you know, more of the, uh, you know, the, the instrument uh, based music. So I'm curious, this one's almost purely synthetic. So I'm kind of curious what you guys think about that first album and, and pretty much how you got introduced to Nine Inch Nails as well. So there you go. Three part question. Uh, three part <laughs> question. I'll try to remember all the parts. Uh, so I got introduced to Nice Nails probably the way most people did. Um, I can't remember if it was from Lou, uh, if he brought home Pretty Hate Machine, or if it was just seeing him on MTV, or one of my friends was like, hey, there's this, you know, we, we had already been acquainted with Ministry and some of the other um, kind of getting towards industrial stuff at that time. Um, and so when Nine Inch Nails came along and, and Head Like a Hole started hitting MTV and the radio, um, that was just sort of like a natural, oh yeah, yeah, I could get behind this. Um, here in the, the rest of the album, yeah, definitely some, some high and low parts, but it was a whole new way to, from, from my perspective of kind of merging those, like the drum machine, program drums, synthesizers, with uh you know just like the ratcheted up buzzsaw guitars um and yeah i, I think i definitely fit into um where i come from uh, in the in the 80s i was definitely listening to a lot of like metallica and megadeth and uh curl mags and a lot of hardcore um so that, that was sort of like another uh angle on that whole that whole scene um, when I started hearing Nine Snails, I was more into like Red Hot Chili Peppers and Primus and some of the more like thrash funk kind of stuff. But then that kind of took me back a little bit, but also took me forward into some of the stuff I would get into later. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of, I think that hits all the points in my nice. really long wandering answer. <laughs> no, it's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, was that the was that the album you got into the, with Jamie? Yeah, that was my my introduction to Nine Inch Nails, and I think I loved it right away because it was just so different from anything else that I had ever heard. Um, the videos were super creepy, which I loved, um, and I just totally got into it from the beginning. I think now with the whole catalog of Nine Inch Nails music. Um, Definitely music for me has always had all of these little snapshots in time attached to them. So for me, I like looking back on some of those older albums because I can reminisce about what I was doing at any moment in time. So they're more nostalgic for me. I do love them um, musically, but they're more nostalgic for me. But I think my tendencies are toward more upbeat type stuff. Nowadays, it's a, I'm into a little bit less of the creepy stuff. So for me, I like the newer Nine Inch Nails albums just because they're more something I could dance to. You know, more something that kind of gets you going in the morning that you could be listening to and get you going on your day. That's kind of more my, my jam. Yeah, that's great. That's great to hear because a lot of people, you know, a lot of Nine Inch Nails fans aren't exploring the new stuff as much, but even put on like hesitation marks and that one's got a pop in its step. All, all throughout that album. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That is one of my favorites of all time. That's great. Sure. Great to hear. That's cool. 
Um, and uh, we got to, and the next was uh, March of the Pigs, which, um, and I'm not going to necessarily talk a lot on each of these songs, so you chime in if you want to talk about the song, but the cool thing about this one, Greg, is you and I were probably freaking out because they didn't just play March of the Pigs, they played the extended All the Pigs All Lined Up remix, which goes like seven mm -hmm. minutes long. And um, <laughs> I don't, yeah, and I don't think we ever even thought they would do uh, like remixes, but it turns out like, because they were touring right after they put out Further Down the Spiral, they actually folded in about three remixes into the, sh the show. Um, yeah, I, uh, I thought they that kind of changed it up a bit. I thought that made it super special because I, I've seen them a few times and um and uh anyways they've they, they, they i've seen them a few times and they, they they stopped doing the remixes but i thought that was cool but this one they always seem to do this one live as the extended i think mm -hmm. they like and and don't they change the time signature in the remix to actually make it in four four time because the original time signature is yes outrageous yeah. And so it's probably easier to play live. <laughs> yeah, they continue on uh, and kind of ramp up the uh, tempo a little bit at the end there and and uh, just do like an extended version of it. And yeah, that's always been really cool. I, I'm I'm happy when they when they do that live. I remember uh, we'd probably just gotten the the March of the Pig single and. So that was like, yeah, that was an exciting little bonus that we didn't oh, yeah. expect. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the be the becoming was next, um, which mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever seen them play that again. And that's a really cool song. Speaking of a song that sounds creepy as hell, I think that, that yeah. made a list of the that made a list of like the top fifty <laughs> scariest songs of all time. It was like in the top five. That's a, apparently that's a like. Um, that is at like sonically that is actually like possibly the creepiest sounding song of all time i saw some article about that with all the screams and and the yeah. um, you know the notes used in it the chords and everything it oh yeah apparently like way up there as far that, as that unsettling just, disturbing sounds yeah that synth line yeah. just sounds like a spider on a spider web like yes yeah. yeah yeah it's 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 creepy uh, and Dan and Jamie, feel free to chime in on these if you have something to say about the song, or I'll just I'll just move this bus along. Um, they followed up with Sanct "Sanctified," uh, an old Pretty Hate Machine track. Um, fun to see live because of that that slapping bass line. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody has any thoughts on that, but you know, definitely definitely a fun one live. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. I remember. Yeah. Yeah um piggy uh they didn't just play piggy they played the rick rubin uh uh dave navarro remix of piggy nothing can mm -hmm. stop me now um which that 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 remix cooks man that it starts out kind of repetitive and then it gets uh it gets into like some noise guitar drum and bass stuff at the at the choruses i i was stoked they played that that's one of my favorite remixes yep that's one of also, my favorite songs yeah. just of all time yeah, uh, that yeah. remix also featuring uh, Dave Sardi of Bark Market uh, doing some engineering. That's right. And I remember as a uh, full circle, as the the singer and bassist from from our Dan's and my band uh, Thingamajig, 
uh, with uh, Nate, the singer, I remember him saying that Sardi was probably responsible for that like machine gun noise that comes in at the end. That, oh, that okay. Was it. So, okay. <laughs> that was it. Was just yeah. a joke, but yeah, that that was. I always remember that. I think when we. Oh, I was just gonna just gonna say when we saw them, we went saw the Cold Black and Infinite show when it came through uh, Phoenix. Uh, and Which I think was our first time seeing them. First time seeing right. the Inch Nails, and uh, they started out with Mr. Self Destruct, followed it with uh, um, they go into Piggy. I, I can't remember how what the order is on the album, but they basically did first three songs on the album. We all looked at each other like, "Oh my God, are they gonna do Downward Spiral?" And then, of course, they went <laughs> off in a different direction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you guys got a great—you guys got a great set list at that at that show. Um, yeah, that was really good. Yeah. Um, oh, and then did. they followed it up with—they uh, <laughs> followed it up with a song that I've actually seen them play now ev almost every time I've seen them live, which is like four times. Uh, they played the uh, Natural Born Killer song "Burn," but that song—that song's great live. It's, it's, it's a fun one. That's a that one's a yeah yeah that a, a heater. Uh, <laughs> And then you get another remix, which this is the song I couldn't make eye, eye contact with my father while they were playing it. <laughs> As they, <laughs> they played, uh, they, they played clo closer, but they played the, the Closer to God remix, which is actually a. Lyrical lineups, um, but that was a, that's a, that's one of their best remixes, also. Yeah, I don't know that was if I know that one. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, check it, check it out, it, uh, Jamie. Yeah. It's, it's a little, uh, it's a complete. It doesn't sound like the original at all, except for some of the the lyrics. But um, it's not just a remix where they use the old vocal track, like he re-sang the whole song and, and changed it up completely. So it's uh, wow. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> that that was one of my favorite that's always been like one of my favorite like remix or redo versions of any of their their songs that's a, a really good one yeah but then they ended that and i'm i'm sweating a little bit because my father has just heard these uh sexually explicit lyrics <laughs> and uh even though i tried to shield him from it because in the drive up i made that mixtape where i where i paused when I was yeah. recording all the bad words and trying to clip them all out. <laughs> and so, you know, best, best laid plans. And what, the, what did I think was going to happen? And when he performs live, he, he bams in as many F words as possible to songs that never yeah. even had them anyways. But anyways, after that, <laughs> we get a much needed rocker with Wish live. And I, Greg, oh, we yeah. just looked at each other and just collectively shat our pants when they started playing. Yep. <laughs> yep. Dinner plates for eyes. Yep. That was, uh, that was really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> And we were back at like, as we were way up, um, you know, there were all the seats closer um, from the stage, like quite a ways up this, in this amphitheater. And then there was all just like a lawn area in the back. And that's where we were. And, um, mm. and we were trying to start our own little mosh pit with each other, but we were around a bunch <laughs> of uh, older, possibly Bowie fans standing around us who were just waiting <laughs> for Nin to start. So. Yeah, it was fun though. <laughs> and then gave up. They played gave up, which is another classic off of uh, off of Broken. Um, 
As 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 fans, kind of at, at the time where they as they were coming out, did you uh, this 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 question's to Dan and Jamie? Did you guys feel like did you guys like sense the sea change in sound between Pretty Hate Machine and Broken? As far as going from like an electronic album to like a pretty loud, angry guitar-driven album. I don't think I listened to Broken until probably after Downward Spiral even came out. Um, for me, it was just a jump from Pretty Hate Machine to Downward Spiral. And oh, wow. Downward Spiral is what really like, just really clinched it for me. Um, just the, yeah. It, so yeah, that, that was a huge leap. And I really liked that. And then I think um, later I heard Broken and I was just like, Oh, okay, yeah, I suppose that does kind of come in between those two. I can see the yeah. attachments to both <laughs> directions from that one. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I was already clinched by then. Right. Yeah, that'll be the same thing for me. I think it's Greg's fault too. Yeah, I'm that's gonna, it. I'd like to blame Greg yet again. Uh, hey. You know the. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I yeah, I had really only heard him like a whole first but didn't, didn't start listening to them at all. And it wasn't until um, like I came home from somewhere and Dan and Jamie and uh, Nate from Thingmajig were all like hanging out playing Super Metroid in my room and uh, they were listening to Downward Spiral. And uh-huh. that's when I was like, okay, I, I want this album. And so I started there. And then after that went back to like broken and pretty hate machine and, and uh, yeah i still connect oh i, I still connect downward spiral and any metroid game i don't know why yes. but those two are like <laughs> yeah. permanently associated in my mind i can't do the one without the other oh, and i never uh, played metroid but i probably spent a lot of time in greg's room uh posing his lego men in different yeah. situation so that's probably what i was doing in the background <laughs> uh, uh, after that they go into one of their their most ridiculous songs but somehow still great live which is uh down in it um very great to hear those nursery rhyme lyrics uh live in concert uh, <laughs> yep uh, that song I go from loving it to not liking it to loving it again. I think I'm back in the loving it camp right now, but um, that's a, that's a weird one. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then they we can't get, all be zingers. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, and then we get into what's the, the tr- kind of transitional phase. Um, Night Shells has one more song by themselves before Bowie and his band come out and they play songs together. Um, the last song for Nine Inch Nails was uh, Eraser, which is perfect to get into that because that long mm. instrumental yeah. uh, buildup. I think they started projecting, um, mm. this is when they started projecting like cool stock footage over the, the back of the screen behind them. Um, mm-hmm. That song is, 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 is splendid. That, that, that song is splendid. Oh, yeah. yeah. Always been one of my very favorites. Yeah. Uh, sadly, they didn't have a somebody blowing into a recorder on stage, so I could see how they got that weird sound at the beginning of that of that song. But um, okay. yep. I, I mean, if they want, I'll go on tour with next time, and I'll just be recorder boy for Eraser. But 
Uh, and then, then Bowie's band comes out and it's a song that I didn't even know was a song back then, but now, um, yep. I, I'm Same so here. stoked that I saw it. And that was Subterraneans, one of the instrumental Cynthia Brian Eno mm. songs off low. They're playing that. And I'm sure at the time, Greg and I thought, oh, this is just a cool, like, feedback instrumental break. But, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Bowie Trent was playing the sax. Yeah, that's right. Yes, he was. <laughs> I always like it yep. when Trent busts out the saxophone. It's, yep. Uh, <laughs> that's great. It's kind of stumbling around the stage and, you know, yeah. yeah. I thought it was just like a weird, just a live kind of, um, Improv. transition yeah. but yeah had had no idea that was subterraneans and then uh, bowie comes out and starts doing the chanting at the end of that song and uh mm -hmm. then they go right into um uh and this was my introdu introduction to this song i would find the album version later but they go right into scary monsters and super sounds like a proto-industrial song and hearing the whole band together on that one uh, it's just a perfect fit for an industrial rock band that song's great yeah and then yeah, they go good. they go into a, a song that really highlights their working their vocals together which was reptile taking over the vocals on that song uh, already songs kind of kind of got a little sexy and uh and bowie just takes it to, she takes it to cloud nine on that song it's a it's a great rendition uh, i'm jealous that's reptile <laughs> has to be another one of my favorite songs and Fias too yeah. that oh yeah that one's so good and they did play that at our show well he in that 120 minutes interview bowie says something about uh that being his favorite, you know, when asked, he said that was his favorite Nine Inch Nails song because it was uh, dangerously, I can't remember the word he used, but it was inappropriate or something like that. But, <laughs> yeah, provocative. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Provocative, yeah. dangerously provocative. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then they go into another perfect melding of the two bands with uh, Hello Space Boy live.
just yep. everybody's face melted off um, <laughs> <laughs> watching that. And there's actually yeah. YouTube clips of them playing uh, all these songs together. Um, and actually, somebody went up and uh -huh. like improved the quality quite a bit. So if you haven't seen it, I recommend uh, you know checking it out that way. Um, and then uh, Nine Inch Nails uh, finishes up with Hurt and Bowie helping on vocals on that, which is their, their go-to closer. I don't know if they've ever closed an album since Downward Spiral without it being that song. Um, yeah. Uh, which is fine. It's a, you know, gets the crowd going for sure. And uh, then Nine Inch Nails walks off and Bowie just continues. There's no, there's no break. There's no intermission break. Then Bowie's band just just starts on and they start strong with uh, their track off of um, what was it on Lodger look back in anger. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that song is awesome. And his band at the time, like, you know, any of that funky stuff from the seventies, he had Gail Ann Dorsey on bass and she, um, this tour was the first time they worked together. And then she would be a studio bassist moving forward. And she was awesome. She's just live. She's yeah. really good. And the drummer, Zachary Alford, playing drums uh, live, I think. Yeah. And um, yeah, so he was he was the one on Earthlane. I, I didn't realize that he was playing through that whole tour. And, uh, yeah, he's he's excellent. Yeah, and that um, that uh, that band, that live band, is what inspired him to make Earthling because they just were getting into mm. this this groove of like they they really liked how they were all sounding together and taking this organic band take on electronic music and they wanted to then nice. immediately in the studio after getting back from this tour so um the i'm deranged came next um which uh you know i'll save my thoughts on until our episode of outside comes out but you know obviously with this band it was a perfect perfect fit because that's kind of the the, the the inception song for uh for earthling as far as the live drum and bass goes yeah um, now, at the time, I think Greg and I are in the same boat, with the exception of the outside stuff and maybe a couple old hits. Um, I didn't know most of these songs at all. Um, yeah. yeah. Looking at, like, the set lists, it looked like they they did, um, like, they kind of started off with more of the outside tracks and then went into some of the older stuff. Right, right. And they yeah. did, they did a lot of outside stuff. They did... Um, uh, Heart's Filthy Lesson, followed by Voyeur of Utter Destruction, I Have Not Been to Oxford Town, and then the song Outside. So, like, those those are all really good songs off the album, and, you know, we're good live, too. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I saw um, that Pushing Ahead the Dame article did say something interesting where um, it said uh, they never, you know, they never toured for the Scary Monsters album, even though it's, you know, definitely considered one of his best. They never went on a tour for that. So, in a way, the songs they choose on this and the style of music they were doing, this is kind of like the Scary Monsters tour we never got, but then with a bunch of outside songs crammed in. Not tomorrow, it happens today. The damage today, they beat on today. They fall on the outside But I stand by you now Not tomorrow Yeah. <laughs> uh, after
after the outside songs, they play Andy Warhol, which is a strange choice, but they change it up. Yeah. Um, the new band, it's completely different than their than the old. Um, I can't even remember what at this point. I'm losing it. I can't remember what album that that song's on. But um, that's on uh, Hunky Dory, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. Thank you. You're right. You're right. Um, kind of a forgettable. Of all of us, I don't know how I'm the one who remembers that. I know. <laughs> well, when you've had to like mainline Bowie albums for two years, um, some, some of them beat together a little bit. And uh, Hunky Dory, especially was especially those early '70s ones. Right. <laughs> right. And there's some great songs on there, but yeah, Andy Warhol could be considered forgettable, but the band did something cool with it. And then they went into Breaking Glass, which is one of my favorite. You know Bowie songs off of uh, off of low there, and he's got the perfect band to play it. So, uh, man who sold the world at this point, that song was a huge success thanks to Nirvana. Um, uh, the world knew kind of that version, and so Bowie definitely tried to reclaim it during this tour. Um, and the version of the song is actually out on some of those new uh, radio session albums that have just been released. Um, like, is it any wonder? And um, the live version of this is, uh, it's a little like um, Eastern influenced, like with some like electronic sitars and stuff like that. Um, it definitely doesn't sound like his uh, version on that album, but we got uh, We Prick You from uh, Outside and uh, Joe the Lion from, from Heroes, uh, which we haven't covered on the podcast yet. Uh, and then we get some more outside stuff like small plot of land and then we get night flights which is a song on black tie white noise which is hmm. uh-huh. which is a weird such a weird choice but it's one of the few like rock based songs off of black tie white noise because the rest of the album is all like acid jazz so um you know he had a good band to play it live it's a mm-hmm. it's a it's a, a walker brothers cover who um you know talked about and then they played one that uh greg and i both knew they played under pressure um and Gail Ann Ann Dorsey did the uh, Freddie Mercury part and she's a great vocalist in her own right sat on her face but it don't work keep coming up with love and it's all slashed and So that that one was awesome. That was a nice one that Greg and I finally recognized one, and <laughs> we definitely got excited towards yeah. the end there. I I do remember just recognizing just from like I knew I'd heard it before, but it was it was still actually probably years after that that I realized that it was actually like a you know collaboration between Bowie and Queen. I didn't even didn't even know. Right for a while but yeah I, I recognize the sound of it yeah and then uh they wrapped everything up with a song that they never played before from scary monsters and um you know rarely played after which was teenage wildlife yeah uh, which is a uh which is quite a like that's a, that was one of all of our favorite songs off uh scary monsters uh, not my favorite but it's uh-huh. it's up there that song is a real uh you know a real barn burner Hello. I miss him, but he had to go. Well, he's to his own. He was another piece of teenage wildlife. Just another piece of teenage wildlife. 
thinking uh, yesterday about you know all of these songs and looking at all the things that that Bowie has chosen to play and and at this point even Nine Inch Nails is kind of like this but when when you're a David Bowie even in 1995 it's sort of like the omnivore's dilemma how when when you can play and when you've written all the songs and you can play and do anything and you've got a band like that how do you choose what songs to play because everything is available to you and his catalog was enormous even at that time so you know when when you can eat anything how do you choose what to eat uh, right and so, well and he yeah. was he was very vocal about it um i remember my dad telling me that like one of the reasons he bought outside was bowie said in an interview he's like i'm not gonna play my old classics back in like 91 yeah. he did the um he did the tour uh oh god damn what was it called he did the there was a tour where it was all greatest hits. It was, he did a greatest hits tour. And he, and he said, I'm, re I'm retiring most of these songs now. And then he would end up pulling them back out <laughs> in uh, 2000. Yeah. But so he specifically said he wasn't going to play a lot of his old hits. And so he definitely picked stuff from, you know, Scary Monsters, which never got a tour. He, he picked some, mm -hmm. obviously, most of the outside. And then, um, you know, just some weirdos from, from his, uh, you know, 70s and, and, you know, 70s to 90s. Yeah, yeah, but um, but yeah. So uh, yeah, the live album is out now. It's called Au Revoir Lachine, and it's live in Dallas. So it would have been that would have been just another like week after after we saw him. Um, and so if you want to hear if you want to hear any of these uh, live with you know better quality than YouTube, it's on there. So. <laughs> cool. Did, yeah. Did Bowie and Nine Inch Nails collaborate again? Um, to do any kind of shows together or make any appearances during each other's shows later on, like during Earthlings, because I know they kept going with, you know, I'm Afraid of Americans and stuff like that. Did they ever play again like that? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think so. I don't think, I've never heard, yeah. I've never heard about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, they, they collaborated obviously on I'm Afraid of Americans and, um, uh, Trent has done some remixes, uh, like after Bowie died that, he, that he's released, um, mm -hmm. of some of his later day stuff. But, uh, yeah, they've, I think this was, this was it for the live, live stuff. Cause I think and, that's probably when I really got interested in their combo, um, was for that particular song. And I still love that song and listen to it all the time and sing along with it. Um, and then we watched a video recently and I had not ever seen that video. And no. so I had no idea. Trent Reznor was adorable, creepy <laughs> and adorable at the same yeah, time. Definitely. So uh, like, Damn it. How did I miss this? Yeah, that's definitely a, a, a Trent during his uh, alcoholic bloat phase. Uh, yep. <laughs> and, his, uh, <laughs> and he's got his little uh, skinny soul, creeper soul. phase. This uh, soul, soul strip, little soul strip there. Um, uh -huh. Oh yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's that's a great video. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it would have been great if they got to do an album together. I mean, the best you've got are you know trans remixes uh, um, of some of his songs. If you get an idea of what that would sound like, um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, they remain friends, and you know Trent credits Bowie for helping him. You know when he needed to get clean in the early aughts. Um, as this kind of like a role model right. 
uh, role model who was able to do that, but hold on, you know, you know, still tour, still be able to live the rock and roll life and, and, but not, you know, but not kill himself in the process. And, you know, Bowie, mm-hmm. Bowie was supportive of that. So I, you know, I always love that story. And um, when we saw him live at, yeah. and I don't know if they did this at your show, uh, the, the, the cold black and infinite tour. Um, but uh, they did, um, they went to subterraneans again. And then they, instead of singing the subterranean stuff, Trent started singing his um, God breaks down the door chorus off the new album. And then, um, mm-hmm. and there, there was definitely a little, a little conversation, you know, he's definitely brought it up in concert about his, uh, you know, his, his friendship with, with Bowie and um, yeah. And uh, yeah. So, and I think he, he even wrote a song about him once he died uh, off of the ad violence album. Um, which is which is which, that one which gets me every time yeah yeah <laughs> but um but yeah so uh it's a friendship for the ages friendship for the <laughs> well uh yeah and I, i'm i wanted to say too just the that whole transition um between the two bands um i mean I was only 15 at the time. I hadn't really seen much of the world or live performances, but I just felt like that was something that was so uh, unique. And I, I loved that. I don't know, it, it just really further, um, it strengthened the, this, the idea that they, they really uh, respected each other as artists and uh and were like wanting to do things together rather than just being like nine snails being the opening band they actually worked out this whole sequence with the two uh with all the musicians playing together and that was it was just awesome like the and it was a it was a pretty long sequence too it wasn't just like you know a couple of songs and um yeah i just i really I really appreciated that and and it felt much more of like an endorsement of each other uh, through all that so and you definitely felt you knew you were you knew you were seeing something special when it was happening yeah and you knew you were gaining cool points that you could hold over people's heads for decades (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) still jealous always nice to yeah (laughs) gotta have some of those points handy yeah Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well guys, that's, that's, that's what I got. Um, I appreciate you hopping on here. It seemed, it seemed appropriate to, to bask in the glory of nineties Bowie with you all. So, um, yeah. yeah. Thanks for, for coming. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Jamie, if you really want to know the story to outside, uh, the first 10 minutes of this episode will be me, um, uh, summarizing it based on all of my research. So enjoy that. Okay. <laughs> uh, enjoy that madness um uh yeah so i mean okay so you guys are all are all creative uh so i'm sure you've got some stuff to plug and we'll make sure to to link it um if you like but uh what's what's up would you guys you guys have anything you want to share uh great i'll jump in um <laughs> yep uh just and i'm probably mentioned it last time when we did the ghost episode but just uh my youtube channel some room to grow it's just all organic gardening tutorials and 
mistakes and successes and all that kind of stuff. And um, so, yeah, check it out if you're into wanting to grow your own food. Yeah, it's a it's a DIY garden channel, but like if it was shot um, by the cinematographer from like I don't know, you know, uh, uh, Planet Earth or <laughs> it's it's it's, it's the, the your 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 nature shots are are beautiful on that. So it's, 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 it's good looking as long as the camera's, you know, not on, on you. It's, it's a really good. Yes, looking. that's true. I, I know. I need to, I need to no, get away Fred. from that a little bit more. No, 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 no. I'll, no I'll you're, 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 do... You are the host with the most money. You, 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 you're, 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 yeah. you're key. You're key to that. You're key to that show. If yeah. I, hey. if I switch to 4k, I'll try not to be on camera anymore. I hope you guys are, I hope you guys are, are, are picking up on the cycle of abuse here because uh, Steve just abused me on our show nonstop. So now that I have one to myself, now I just start picking on Greg. And then, you know, what, Greg, take I'm it out sorry. on me. That's you, don't right. deserve, you don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. I'm a, that's fine. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. the chain of screaming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dan, you've got some, you've got some music out there in the, in the world, correct? Yeah, uh, I have a band camp, um, El Travieso, which is E-L-T-R-A-B-I-E-Z-O, uh, band camp. Um, and then I'm working on an Instagram page that'll just have like acoustic versions or like me and Fias playing songs together. Um, that one will be similarly named. It's the letter L dot T-R-A-B-I-E-Z-O. Uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll have links in the in the show notes on this. Um, I'll definitely link cool. to uh, to Fias's, uh Pulsar Glitch music too because it's 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 something special. It's, Excellent. It's, it's... Yeah, that was going to be my plug because I don't I don't have anything in the public eye right now. Um, we but have a, we have a personal shop page where we sell uh, wood, metal, and fabric candy crafts. Uh, I suppose. Stumble yes. and shop. Yeah, that counts. That counts. That's shop. Yeah. Old, yeah. old tiny shop, a shop with two P's and an E. Yeah, send, send me the uh, send me the link to that, and I'll and I'll, and I'll put it on there because you guys do some good work through that. Cool. I've seen stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and and Fias's Pulsar Glitch uh, webpage has not only music but his merch, um, which is hilarious and great. And then he also <laughs> has been building computers for people. So he's all up in everything tech, and uh, he's got a link to that to the website. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. basically, they're saying they're a super talented family, and yeah, we get it. That's that's, that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Um, cool. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for coming on. Uh, love talking to you all. And uh, absolutely. Yeah. That that. Thanks for thanks for having us. We were super excited to do this, and, and this has been a blast. We always like talking about music, especially with, with uh, silly, like-minded individuals. Yeah, okay. and the 90s in general, because oh, yeah. we consider ourselves to be 90s, 90s freaks. So. Yeah. 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 It was a good time. It was a good time. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to hit stop here, and... Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, big thanks to all the wall guests, Greg, uh, Dan, Jamie, and Fias for joining in and having this in-depth conversation of Bowie in the 90s. 
uh, what a time to celebrate. Um, definitely check out their stuff. Uh, check out the, um, the Stumble In Shop uh, link in the show notes. Uh, check out Fias's electronic music, Pulsar Glitch, on all streaming services, um, or his uh, website for his merch, which is shop.spreadshirt.com slash Pulsar Glitch. Check out Dan's music. We're listening to it right now, uh, El Traviezo. Um, you can find that on Bandcamp. And then, uh, of course, check out Greg's uh, DIY food gardening channel, uh, Some Room to Grow, on YouTube. All right, thanks all. And hey, tune in, listeners, tune in next week where we actually, me and Mark and Steve, review a track-by-track analysis of Outside, and you can see how this story ends. Now I'm